Good morning, Elevation. Well, here we are again. Glad to be with you. And I'm going to start off this morning by telling you a story. Uh, we are continuing in a series called Christ in Our Crises. And this morning, we're going to talk about the crisis of loss. So I was thinking about what the first thing that I can remember losing in my life was. And if I bring my memory all the way back to when I was maybe five years old, uh, I remember we had, I had this little stuffed toy called a Monchichi. Now, anyone who's around my age will be just going down memory lane right now because Monchichis were amazing. They were this little kind of monkey creature with a plastic thumb that went in this hole in his mouth. It was fantastic. Uh, anyways, this is one of my favorite little toys. And at one point in time, I don't remember all of the details, but I somehow dropped my Monchichi down the stairs. Now, I imagine that I had been dragging this thing around for a long time and it was quite old and raggedy because when it fell down the stairs, somehow its head cracked open and all of the little beads that were inside its boy body to make it nice and squishy, they all came out. And I remember as a child just being absolutely horrified at the fact that my Monchichi doll had been decapitated. Um, so there I was howling and I remember being carried up the stairs. Thankfully, uh, to the magic of my mother sewing the next morning, Monchichi's head was back on and just the slightest little stitches on the back and uh, we were back to normal. Now, that was the first thing that I can remember kind of losing as a child. Uh, but at the same time, every single one of our lives starts off with loss. Every one of us loses the safety, the security, the warmth, the comfort of the womb. When life begins, the first thing we experience in the outside world is experience of loss. One of the common experiences that we're all sharing these days is an accumulation of loss. Things like losing the ability to hug our loved ones, to leave home to go to work, to watch sports on TV. And all of these little losses in our lives, well, they can start to build up. And that's to say nothing of the more significant losses that we can face in life. Walter Brueggemann is an Old Testament scholar, and he writes in this book, Reality, Grief, Hope. The immediacy of reality does not require theological commentary. It is enough to face the reality of utter loss and abandonment. I take that as a bit of a warning this morning, and so I will try to offer something other than mere theological commentary. Whether our losses are big or small, what I want to emphasize is that we can expect to encounter Christ in our crisis of loss. So this morning's reading comes from John chapter 20, and it begins, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. Now to this point in Mary's life, all that she knew in her relationship with Jesus was how much she had gained. Mary's life started off as being possessed by seven demons and we're told that Jesus cast these demons out of her. And so she had gained so much since she was first introduced to Jesus. But in the recent days, she had begun to lose and begin, began to grieve. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was a renowned expert on death and dying who introduced the five stages of grief, denial, anger, depression, bargaining, and acceptance. Now her research was in the first person. She was talking to people who were dying themselves and she wanted to understand what their experience of grief was when facing their own death. But in her final book, Kubler-Ross expanded her model to include any form of personal loss, such as the death of a loved one, the loss of a job or income, a major rejection, the end of a relationship or divorce, drug addiction, incarceration, the onset of a disease, or infertility diagnosis, and even minor losses such as the loss of insurance coverage. 
minor losses like this for me, the ability to speak to my community of faith face-to-face in person. This is a loss for me. I miss being with you guys in person and I hope that we're getting closer to that now. But but honestly, over the last three months, this has been a, a, one of the small losses in my own life that has been accumulating. John 20 verse 13 uh, records this uh, interesting interaction. So Mary's at this tomb and she's crying, but there are these two angels sitting there where Jesus' body should have been. She doesn't seem too bothered by them, um, but they ask her a question, woman, why are you crying? Now, maybe it was the fact that they're angels, they didn't know too much about women, but women tend to cry. And listen, before you start throwing things at the screen, like this is like just a a fact, okay? Uh, I was doing some research. Now the numbers are all over the map, but generally speaking, women are known to cry about five times as much as men. So if a woman in the course of an average year has 50 uh, emotional kind of crying episodes, then a man would have 10 emotional crying episodes. If you ask my kids, they will tell you that I am getting better at this, that I am getting better at crying as I get older. Uh, Tears are an interesting thing. And I remember uh, listening to someone talk about this one time and they were saying, uh, they were kind of pondering half jokingly, you know, why do tears come from our eyes? And they weren't talking like biologically. They were just talking like, like, uh, what if they came from our nose? What if we cried out of our nose? Or what if we cried out of our ears or our mouth or something like that? And they, they kind of posed this idea, maybe it's because when a person cries, the tears come out of their eyes and it forces us to engage with them eye to eye. It forces us to look them in the eye in this intimate person-to-person connection. And again, I have no idea if there's any basis in that or not, uh, but it's a neat idea, a reminder that part of the way that we enter loss in the world and experience loss in the world is through the loss of other people. Shared loss, something that we might call empathy. And I've seen a lot of that taking place recently in the last couple of weeks. Even in just the last week and a half, I've participated in three online conversations with our community Uh, that have touched on or spent significant amount of time uh, talking about racial injustice. And we had a conversation on the Slow Kingdom Coming book. Uh, Our neighbors group, we had a really good conversation last Sunday morning. And then this past week, we had a lament service as well. And a number of people joined. and, And just listening to people's experience, what I'm sensing is that people are genuinely trying their best to enter into the experience of loss and pain being felt by people around them. There's this passage that I was reminded of in Galatians 6. Paul writes this, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So we share in the experience of loss when we can empathize with another person, but also as we begin to help lighten the burden as we're able. So Mary asked this question of these angelic visitors, like what have they, uh, what have they done with my Lord's body? They've taken it away. I don't know where they've put him. Um, That's her answer to their question, why are you crying? But is that really why she was crying? It's probably part of the reason she was crying. But I was listening to a podcast on grief a couple of weeks ago, and one of the commentators was talking about how emotionally it's like we have uh, these buckets for each of the different emotions we experience in life. And every time we have uh, a loss experience, a grief experience, we put something in that bucket. And when I was envisioning this, what I kind of came to mind was this idea that when you put something in that bucket and you go over, you also take a look at the things that were already in that bucket. And so every loss reminds you of the other things that you've lost. Every experience of grief reminds you of other things that you've grieved over. And so in many ways, Mary, yes, was crying because they'd 
taken her Lord's body, but she was also crying because she watched him be arrested and betrayed by a friend. She was crying because she watched him be tried unjustly and unfairly. She watched him um, be mocked and spat on and hung on a cross. She watched his body be taken down and put into a tomb. She was crying through all of these experiences. And so, yes, it was true to say she was crying because they'd taken her Lord's body away, but there was so much more behind that. It's like the song that we sing sometimes when all our hopes were buried in the grave. Mary's hopes had been buried in the grave. Jesus was a teacher. Jesus was a friend. Jesus was her Lord. And as far as she was concerned, all of that was gone. Now, as the narrative continues, Jesus appears, but he appears out of sight. And so Mary didn't know who was talking to her in this moment. Thinking he was the gardener, the gospel continues, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. Now, there's some humor in this scene. Uh, we've all had a similar experience, right? Uh, not in the last three months. But if you can think back to those times when we used to walk around in large crowds of people, and maybe you're walking with your friends or you're walking with your family, and you decide to ask a question or you're telling a story, and you assume that they're over there to your left, uh, and you can kind of see them out of your peripheral vision. So you're telling them a story, and then you glance over your shoulder, and you realize that wasn't them you saw out of your peripheral version. And the person that you're talking to kind of gives you this look like, you're weird. And then you pretend that nothing happened and that you meant to talk out loud. Uh, so it's this kind of weird experience where we think we're talking to one person, but it's kind of someone else. Um, and this is what Mary experiences here in the garden. She thinks she's talking to a gardener, but she's actually talking to the risen Christ. In this case, it was Mary's crowded thoughts that kept her from identifying the man who was speaking to her. She'd already lost so much. And now all she was asking for was a location. I think this is a pretty sad part of the story, actually, that all she wanted to know was, where's the body? I'll go get it. I'll do this on my own. Maria Popova writes, anyone who has lived through loss will recognize in it the essential banality of survival. We come unmoored, then buoy ourselves up with the flimsiest of lifeboats, cobbled together out of any plank and rope we can grasp. There's a kind of grasping we do when we experience loss, isn't there? Now, in this particular instance, I was reminded of another story that Luke tells in his gospel. After Jesus' resurrection, he found a couple of disciples uh, who wouldn't have been part of his inner circle, but they were following him around. He finds them on the road to Emmaus, and they likewise didn't recognize who he was. So they're following along, and for an extended period of time, he talks with them, even going into their home, and it wasn't until he held up the bread and gave thanks that they recognized that it was Jesus. Now, in this particular story, Jesus doesn't play games with Mary. He knows her heart. He was very close with her. And so he immediately reveals himself. Jesus said to her, Mary. Like Mary, we often fail to recognize Christ in the midst of our loss. I kind of think of it like physical crying. Uh, when you have tears in your eyes, it can kind of blur your vision a little bit. And, and maybe it was the tears in her eyes, or maybe it was just the experience of loss that caused her to, to fail to recognize Jesus. And so maybe you ask a question like, where is Christ when I'm faced with a crisis of loss? Well, he's right there beside you, closer than you think, and maybe even speaking your name. When Jesus reveals himself to Mary in the garden, she calls his name Rabboni, which means teacher, and she clings to him, not wanting to let go. Rachel Naomi Remen, a, a physician and author, she writes, most people try to hold on to the thing that is no longer part of their lives, and they stop themselves in their lives in this way. I have come to see loss as a stage in a process. 
it's not the bottom line. It's not the end of the story. What happens next is very, very important. Now, just about three months ago, I received an email from the Waterloo Public Library letting me know that a couple of DVDs that I put on hold were ready for pickup. I thought, oh, I'll get to that tomorrow. And then everything shut down, including the library. So I have been waiting three months until last week I got an email saying you can finally come and pick up your holds at the curbside pickup. So I pick up these movies and one of the movies that we watched uh, as a family this week was Frozen 2. Admittedly, probably would have been a little better to watch it when I originally rented it back in March when there was actually snow outside, but whatever, it was what it was. So we watched this movie and it was a good one. But there was a particular scene in it that I couldn't even believe that I was watching in light of this sermon that I was in the middle of writing. Uh, spoiler alert, if you have not seen Frozen 2 and you're really looking forward to, just cover your ears like for the next 30 seconds. So maybe two thirds of the way through the movie, uh, Anna, who is one of the two sisters in the movie, she uh, discovers that she experiences loss in a significant way. She discovers that her little snowman friend, Olaf, is starting to melt away. Um, and she's concerned about this. And he explains, the reason I'm melting is because your sister is losing her power. She must be in a lot of trouble. And so Olaf kind of melts away and then uh, Anna begins to kind of fall into a sleep and she's really despair, full of despair. She wakes up and as everyone, in Frozen 2 does, she sings a song. And the song that she sang, the lyrics of it were quite profound. She sings this, I've seen dark before, but not like this. This is cold, this is empty, this is numb. The life I knew is over, the lights are out. Hello darkness, I'm ready to succumb. Now the first thing I think as I'm listening to this is, this is a kid's movie, like tone it down a little. This is some heavy stuff. These are, these are real lyrics here. I was reminded of the Psalm, Psalm 88 verse 18. You have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. And so Anna is in this despair and she's singing the song, but what comes next is pretty significant. She sings, this grief has a gravity. It pulls me down. I mean, doesn't that just resonate? Don't you, don't you know what that feels like to be pulled down by grief. This grief has a gravity. It pulls me down, but a tiny voice whispers in my mind, you are lost. Hope is gone, but you must go on and do the next right thing. Well, now there's Rachel Naomi Raymond's advice again. What happens next is very, very important. And so Anna concludes, I won't look too far ahead. It's too much for me to take, but break it down to this next breath, this next step, this next choice is one that I can make. Wisdom for life and loss from Frozen 2. God doesn't ask us to figure out how we're going to live the rest of our lives when we're in the midst of a crisis of loss. God asks us to listen for his voice and take the next step. Krista Tippett said, the way we deal with loss shapes our capacity to be present to life more than anything else. So as the narrative continues, Jesus said to Mary, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. We can crumble under the weight of loss. We can cling desperately to whatever remains or we can step out 
in a new direction, trusting that Christ is with us in our crisis. A friend of mine self-published a book recently, and I read it a few weeks ago, and there were a couple of things that really stood out to me in, in, in the book to me. And one of them was this thought. He, he has this phrase, he says, talks about giving up all hope of a better past. And I read that a few times and jotted that down. I thought that's a really significant thought, that we need to give up hope of a better past because our past is our past. What has happened has happened. If we've lost something or someone, we've lost them. And we can't give up hope or we have to give up hope of changing our past. I think it's an important part of dealing with loss in a healthy way. Now, Jesus turns Mary's attention away from what was to what still can be. It's like he's saying, I've got a task for you. Go, be the first person to share the good news that I'm alive. Earlier, Jesus had been talking this way to his disciples. In John 16, 7, we read, Very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The only way Jesus' followers would have access to the comfort, guidance, and power of the Holy Spirit was if he went away, if they lost him. So where is Christ when I'm faced with a crisis of loss? He's right there, encouraging you to shift your attention from what has been lost toward his unfinished work in the world with a reminder that he will be present with you by the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say this in a dismissive way. Jesus would never do that, not dismissing or minimizing your loss, but in an empowering way. David Kessler co-authored the book on grief and grieving with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, and he has recently added a sixth stage, meaning. He wrote a book recently on the other side of the death of his 21-year-old son, where he had to go through all of these different stages of grief in, in real time. And he describes meaning as something that can transform grief into a more peaceful and hopeful experience. Jesus gave Mary at least a sense of meaning in the face of her loss. John 20, 18 says that Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. She didn't get back the things that she lost, her teacher, her friend, but she found a way forward and was transformed in the process from a woman filled with evil to a woman filled with joy. There's this great line from the playwright George Bernard Shaw. You have learned something. That always feels at first as if you had lost something. Such a great concept that the things, the losses that we go through, the loss we experience in the course of our life, it's all an opportunity for us to learn and to grow. And as much as I would love for every one of us to avoid the pain of loss, it's an inevitable part of life. And it's one that can help us grow in our faith if we let it. I want to close with a quote from Marilyn Robinson's novel, Lila. It's not to say that joy is a compensation for loss, but that each of them, joy and loss, exists in its own right and must be recognized for what it is. So joy can be joy and sorrow can be sorrow, with neither of them casting either light or shadow on the other. So my invitation is for you to embrace the reality of a world that includes loss, while holding on to the reality of Christ and his presence with you in the midst of it all. Let us pray. 
Lord, I'm grateful for these stories, these encounters that people had with you that remind us of how you are present in our own experiences. God, I'm grateful that you were with Mary in the moment of her loss and grief. And I'm grateful that you offer the same presence to us. Lord, I ask that you would invite us to trust you enough to take the next step, to follow your footsteps, to continue to build your kingdom, to go out and share the good news even when our hearts are breaking. Help us to find a way. Empower us by your spirit to do it, Lord. We invite you into our days. In Christ's name, amen. As we do each week, we're going to take some time now to break off into our neighbors groups online around the city and around the world, uh, wherever you happen to be watching from this morning, to discuss this morning's theme together with some people and to check in, see how we're doing in light of these unusual times we find ourselves in. If you're not part of a regular neighbors group, there's going to be a link in the comments section right now, and you can hop on that and join the group that I'll be hosting. I'd love to see you there. It's been great to be with you once again this morning. Again, hopefully we'll be doing this in person sooner than later. But in the meantime, peace to you.